Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission here is to help 1 million people start a business of their own. We believe no one is born anything, not a doctor, not a lawyer, of course, not an entrepreneur. We can all be trained to be these things. There's many different types of doctors. There's many different types of lawyers. They all require different skills. The question isn't, are you an entrepreneur? But what type of entrepreneur are you? And then what resources do you need to become the entrepreneur you want to become? My guest this week is James Uffindel, founder and CEO of Bright Network. And I think you're going to really enjoy his insights, story and business model. James, welcome. Thanks, Simon. Really great to be on the podcast. Lovely if you could start off by just telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Thanks. So my name is James Uffendale. I have always been an entrepreneur, actually, um, which I'll maybe I'll talk about in a bit more detail. Um, started my first business from my student bedroom, but um, had other businesses before that. And uh, my current and at the moment kind of like kind of core mission um, is I'm the founder and CEO of Bright Network, which I set up uh, in 2013, having built and kind of scaled and sold my first business. I set up Bright Network in 2013, and we are building the workforce of tomorrow. Um, so our ambition is to help bright young people um, fulfill their potential in the world of work. We have about 400,000 young people, um, over 400,000 young people on our network. It's all free for them. So we call it the career service you never had. And on the other side, it's all paid for by about 250 um, top employers. So everybody from the likes of Google's, Google, Goldman Sachs, PwC, um, these employers fund our work to upskill, inspire and connect to the next generation. It's really amazing what you're doing. I, I've been uh, one year myself trying to help uh, young people with, with starting businesses and, and your organisation always comes up, uh, people just really loving what you're doing. So thank you for helping people right now. I think right now more than ever, this is really quite needed. So um, fantastic job. I, I wanted Thanks, to ask I you... I really appreciate the kind words. Well, no, it's uh, well, well deserved. Um, just just uh, looking back at your history, I think when people um, tune into our podcast, they want to understand how it happens how do people become entrepreneurs how does it happen I look back at your career and basically on LinkedIn you know you've pretty much been an entrepreneur ever since you started you know listing what you do on LinkedIn but how did it start did it did it start family how did it all begin it's a very interesting question kind of art and it was one that fascinates me kind of are entrepreneurs kind of made or are they born so I'd, I'd say I'd always I'd always been entrepreneurial I'd always had kind of ideas about um, how things can maybe work better and how things can be different. Um, and my, my very first business, actually, um, my mum sent me a photo the other day, which kind of really wowed me. It was me aged about, I don't know, probably about eight or nine, maybe even younger. And I had a table outside the cottage we lived in and I was selling, uh, selling conkers um, to the kids in the village, which is, quite, I think, quite a thing, given there's a conker tree just down the road. And, and I also noticed on it there was a sign um, and all the money from this con this conquer venture, venture was going to the, uh, the Cornish Seal Sanctuary, which is where we used to go on holiday. Um, and, and so that was a, a real memory. And my dad likes to remind me, as a kid, probably about, I don't know, five or six, I used to ground up bricks and try and sell them as, as ant dust to kill the ants, because I think they might have had some ants running around or something. So I'd always been that entrepreneurial kind of character and school I used to 
sell sweets out of my locker to under, undercut the, the school um, canteen or tuck shop or whatever I used to go to the cash and carry. So I think I'd always had that. Um, where did that come from? I, I don't know. I mean, growing up, mum and dad got divorced when I was um, when I was when I was young. When I was three, um, there's a lot of kind of change. I'd say in, in my family growing up, and um, I'm very lucky. I that, um, they're both amazing parents, but you know, fundamentally brought up by a, um, a kind of a, a single kind of working mum, I suppose. And um, both my parents kind of remarried, and I think there's a lot of probably change. So I was probably used to change and uncertainty and newness. And then, the, and then having to adapt to kind of different situations, kind of um, step siblings, step parents, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I spent a lot of time with my dad, and, which was great. And he, my dad was actually a shepherd. So he, believe it or not, you know, they both left school at 16. Mum was a secretary. Dad was a shepherd. And, and actually, interesting, I'd kind of watch him because he's, you know, his, his day job was being paid to look after other people's sheep. But then actually started to buy his own sheep. And then... And then he basically started selling his own meat. He sat this little, it was literally like a cupboard um, on, in the middle of nowhere, selling his own meat. And so I think watching him and, and then listing it all together and um, people often say, you know, well, how do you start your own business? But I think, you know, fundamentally, it's just about getting a product and supplying it to a customer. And if you're very focused on keeping your customer happy, then that's good. Um, so yeah, watching watching him was definitely kind of helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know where it comes from ultimately, but I completely agree with what you said in your opening statement about everybody has to be entrepreneurial now. Like the, the Reed Hoffman book, um, the, the, the startup of you, um, everybody now has to kind of think entrepreneurially, if not be, um, you know, run their own business in terms, in terms of being, a, you know, a, a typical entrepreneur. And some of my best friends are, are entrepreneurs. They they work inside companies, leveraging their entrepreneurial knowledge and skill. So it, it's definitely a skill set more than anything else. I think that people can learn. I, I agree more, and it's so important. We need it now more than ever, particularly obviously with um, with COVID nineteen. How we build back better, the challenge we've got around kind of climate change, um, automation with with AI. The whole concept of of a, a job for life now is, I think, obviously anathema. Um, there's a brilliant book called The 100 Year Life, um, which kind of paints a wonderful story about really excitingly, we're all living longer now. So the Queen used to have one person that would write a, a letters to people when they hit 100. And she now has, I think, seven. And we're all living a lot longer. So the idea of a three stage career, education, work and then retirement. The problem now is if you retire at 60, you might be retired for longer than you actually worked. Um, so we all need to be kind of entrepreneurial in terms of, I think, managing our, our careers. And those skills are essentially about, I think, um, managing risk, seeing opportunities, trying to do things better. I completely agree. Those skills can, can all be developed and, and, and learned. And also it is, it is also a, a mindset thing and that too can be worked on. Yeah, it's also um, you know, part of the opportunity right now, given how technology is kind of freeing us all from frankly the office before covid we were you know free of the office really if we wanted to be and and the opportunity and the shared economy is is there but but your your point about ai is also quite an, an important one too i mean technology is going to disrupt those that don't innovate so you also have to retrain yourself in a way Absolutely. And that ongoing experience of learning, something we're really passionate about at, at Bright Network um, with our 400,000 kind of young people, how we equip them for the world of work is, is super um, critical uh, to us on our mission. Um, and there's all sorts of funny things going on. So 25% of graduates 
um, are in jobs that don't require a, a graduate degree, for example. So how, how do we um, make sure they're kind of educated and equipped the right way? One thing we did when COVID hit um, was we could see COVID was coming. We can see um, work experience is so important for young people. And we can see face-to-face -face internships were being cancelled left, right and centre. So very quickly, we spun up, it took about six weeks, we spun up something called Internship Experience UK. We launched that at the beginning of, I think, beginning of May. So COVID obviously hit kind of like mid-March. I think we launched it in May. And, you know, students wanted more experience, firms still wanted to access talent. And we, we built a coalition over 120 20 partners, everybody from CBI, Tech UK. And then we delivered a million hours of online learning through the summer. And, and we had over 120,000 applications for young people. And they were basically doing three-day three-day virtual um, intern internship experiences but what was wonderful that to see in our team I mean we're a small team with 45 people at Bright Network was was at the start of the year there were no plans to to, to to do this and it became the biggest thing we did in the year and to watch the team kind of do all the business as usual um, stuff they were doing but also do this it was remarkable um, and one of our one of our three values is growth mindset so it was incredible to see them spin that up. So fascinating. And I, I, I want to interview your dad and ask, um, he was looking after someone else's sheep and then he <laughs> took the plunge and started his own. And any, any, why would he reply? Why did he do that? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, why would he do that? I think, why did he do that? I should ask him actually. Yeah, let's ask him. Let's, let's do that as an add on later. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to know well, what, what well, changed, you know? What made, I'm going to ask him actually. He, put, he went um, from a steady salary, my, uh, you know, he went from that kind of safe, structure you know took, took some of the money he was making i'm sure it wasn't loads of money and bought some sheep that's all a bit of a risk isn't it interesting yeah well like, he'd always been quite kind of like entrepreneurial mind actually I remember one of his first ventures um because obviously you know in the don't i mean this is obviously back in the 70s and 80s the dark and the rain and the wind and he'd be like up on the doing the lambing right and he invented this kind of heater box which was about keeping the lambs warm as the lambs were born um to try and kind of uh kind of uh, help them and i think i think um yeah, that whole idea of kind of shepherding and helping and supporting. I, it, it, there's definitely something in there in terms of now kind of thinking of how I think about the, the, the Bright Network um, members and like curating and helping their careers all the way through. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't know where he, where he, where he, uh, why he decided to, 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 to take that risk and where mm. these ideas uh, come from. Is that, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Also, just a shout out for your mother. I think anyone who's a single parent bring up a child wow I mean I've got a three-year-old and I've got help and my wife and myself and we are all very tired so <laughs> I really appreciate that she'll, she'll love, love, love to hear that and and she right. I mean it's interesting with parents isn't it kind of what you learn and and um and yeah I was very, very lucky with both my parents but um, my mum she's an amazing woman she has phenomenal tenacity and resilience and while she you know she was she was you know, a kind of a secretary in a local company and um and then actually she got promoted to a kind of a sales manager um but kind of that idea like going you know working single mum and um you know a three-year-old a three-year-old kid but she she has just phenomenal tenacity and i you know i as i you know self-reflect i guess as we all do our own careers um obviously being entrepreneurial there are multiple setbacks like all the time like one of my favorite quotes is that Japanese saying get get knocked down seven times get up eight times I guess if you just refuse to get to give up and and I you know I love endurance sports like things like kind of marathons and triathlons and that kind of like that I've definitely 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very bad athlete, by the way. I'm not, I'm not athletically gifted, sadly. But the things I do like doing, like cycling up kind of massive mountains, that kind of stuff, whilst I'm often at the back, um, I do like that kind of challenge point and that tenacity point. So referencing your point on parents, I think, um, yeah, my mum my, my has absolutely kind of phenomenal levels of, uh, of tenacity. And, um, and I think, yeah, going back to your core topic around entrepreneurship, I think you can pick up things from, from everybody and learn kind of um, learn from everybody around you. Yeah, and I, I often say to people, if your parents aren't inspiring, you find someone that is. But I think that you know, there's a book called Bringing Up Boys, which um, I think is really good. But it talks about probably I think what's caused you to be what you're doing, very purpose driven person comes from actually father. It comes from the mother. I mean, the, for the son, it comes from the mother. So that's why you know my wife actually works as well, and I think it's really important for my son to see that, especially if we're trying to yes. uh, break cultural biases as well. You know, like that my wife works and we co-parent. It's not just my wife's responsibility right. to look after my son, and my son will grow up realizing we're equal. And it really starts at that young age, and, and sounds like that naturally happened to you, which is awesome. Absolutely, and. I, I, can, I believe in that as well um, around, you know, you can, you can learn, you, absolutely, so you can learn from everybody and finding, finding other mentors. And one of the things that brought me into Bright Network was, um, was my first organization for my student bedroom. That was a help about helping get students into universities because um, uh, I, I was very lucky. I went, to, um, I went to a good university. I went to Oxford, but my school didn't send lots of people to um, Oxford and Cambridge. And when I got there, I realized um, that there was a challenge in terms of um, basically kind of kids from certain backgrounds not not applying to university or not applying to those kind of those kind of top universities. So um, yes, yeah, so actually there was no there problem. Was, was that was, so this is 1999 on your Oxford applications business? Yeah. So, so but was yeah, that because yeah. people didn't believe that they could get in, so didn't apply? Was that the problem? So that was that was the big um, that was the that was the big kind of thing I, I noticed and anyway, so I, I basically um went went to Oxford as I said my school didn't send um send many people to Oxford and Cambridge when I got there I realized that you know hats often there are some schools that were sending literally 100 kids a year to Oxford and Cambridge and they had two things they were they were believing in those students and um and uh encouraging them to apply and then secondly when they were applying they were equipping them with essentially you know a I would call it a bit of a um an advantage in terms of how they approach the application system and and i thought and i um i so basically in some of my second year i worked in a um works in a pub and then i went into railing um where i'm not sure if we've done it but it's, it, i'd highly recommend it to anybody i think it's under the age 26 you can buy a ticket and just basically jump on a train so I went off with a mate and this idea came to me that 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 what i should do is like um try and spread the knowledge around um, so that yeah, that was my first venture, which I started in my uh, in my bedroom at my at a university, and I and then I built that up and sold that to private equity in in, in 2013. So, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things I want to unpack from this. I, I think it's really important my audience don't miss the really, I think, a really, really crucial point you're making here, which is my view, it's important to fail, to, but, but to try. And, and uh, so, you know, applying to Oxford, high chance you'll get rejected. But if you don't try... Right. I think there's such an important lesson there that it sounds like, I mean, why did your school who doesn't normally put so many people forward, put you forward? Was it, was it, was it a pressure from your family side or was it just, they spotted the talent in you or luck? It's power of the, it comes here, I think down slightly to the power of the individual. So yes, basically I got lucky because an incredible teacher arrived um, when I moved into sixth form and he he was an Oxford graduate, and he um, he basically encouraged me to apply. 
I wouldn't have applied. I definitely would not have applied without him. If I had applied, I definitely wouldn't have got in. So, so that, that teacher, absolutely. Um, and I never, I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about it. It's a really interesting thing to reflect on because, and I, and also like life, hopefully would have, would have been fine if I'd gone to any, any university and I'm a big believer in just constantly making the best of those circumstances. But I completely agree with your point around risk of failure and, 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 um, and, and what I was saying earlier about, I think being an entrepreneur is about managing risk and, uh, I've just finished, uh, I think it's called um, Invent and Wonder, um, which is Jeff Bezos's uh, most recent book. And he gives a brilliant example of um, the, uh, the Fire Phone. So Amazon had a go at making a mobile phone, which um, I think this was like kind of 10 or even 15 years ago. Complete failure, didn't work. They burnt loads of cash, but out of it came um, Alexa and Echo in terms of the similar type of the, the type of technology around around voice and search, etc. So, uh, and, and Bezos's whole book is all about the importance of of of, uh, of, of risk and, and and failure is a wonderful wonderful teacher. Um, you don't really learn much from winning; you just learn that you did the right thing. Um, but actually, you only do learn from your failures because then you think about how you iterate and you improve and you develop for next time. So, yeah, and I, I could I could talk to you for five hours, let alone one hour, about all my many many failures in life and all the things that have gone wrong. But I do think that is the only way you, you can grow and develop. The butterfly well, not, effect. Not the only way. Um, there's other ways as well, but I think it's a key way. No, I, I know what you mean. It, it, it's, it's a fascinating butterfly effect to watch how people's lives unfold, actually really anchored around this point, uh, which is taking that chance, trying things, t- willing to fail. Um, and, and I think this application point you're making, it, you know, you look what you're doing today. I, I would argue you'd be doing something else perhaps, but you wouldn't be doing what you are doing today if, if that process hadn't played out like that. If that teacher hadn't come into your life, influenced you, supported you, believed in you. And then my instinct is you really worked hard on the application uh, and you put a lot of effort into making sure that, you know, your chances of success were high. Absolutely. And, um, I, and I completely agree with the point. I think uh, that talent, talent is everywhere or opportunity isn't. Um, and if you think about the human race, if you go all the way back to all the millennia, you know, we were fundamentally all just running around in caves and um, hunting mammoths. And we've progressed to the state state we're in. We obviously have multiple challenges, which we need to address as, um, as, as, as a race at the moment, as a you know, in terms of global societies. But, uh, you know, it just shows that ability that, that talent, if supported the right way, can do great things. And we're all ultimately standing on, on the shoulders of giants and, uh, and then how you point that talent in the right direction, unleash it. And one of the things, um, absolutely to your point there, that really galvanized our mission at Bright Network is taking these really super bright kids. So it's the next, you know, the, the, it, we've got them, they've got into their university. So at the, currently we're just focused on um, graduates or undergraduates. Um, we may expand that, but currently it's just focused on undergraduates. And, and that actually came about, which I'm going to later is, because of my own experience of these, these students I'd helped apply to university coming back to me being like, how do I now connect with the world of work? And I thought, surely it's not as bad as when I was at university. But the most satisfying thing at Bright Network is taking these um, members, so they're members, it's all free, and then getting them their first job. And and the reason that the organizations we work with, and we're so lucky with all the incredible global businesses that we work with is they they genuinely want to find the best talent because talent is the number one thing that ceos think about when it comes to their businesses 
and our technology. So we've got about 70 million kind of data points on our network of 400,000. The way I think about it is, is the tap on your shoulder. So if you're lucky enough to be born um, into a professional kind of, I call it like a professional services family or a kind of a well-connected wealthy family, you're constantly getting the tap on the shoulder. So when I was at university, I remember there's a, a guy, um, one of my kind of contemporaries, and he ran off in the second year to go and do a vacation scheme. And I was like 19. I, I was like, what the hell is a vacation scheme? I've got no idea what it is. And he was doing it because his sister had done one. It's, it's um, for those not know, it's basically a, an internship for lawyers, right? So it's just a, it's just a phrase. Like it's, an, it's an internship to be a lawyer. So if you want to be a lawyer, um, mostly you, you will need to do a vacation scheme, not all the time. But I had no idea what this was. And he then became a lawyer, right? You know, big city job, high earning, because his essentially he had that inside kind of track. So what we do with our network is try and replicate that and say, look, if you come from a low income background, um, kind of wherever you come from, but you know, you, you've got X, Y, Z, we can then help employers give you that tap on the shoulder using, um, using what we know about you. And the great thing now is our members, they trust us more and more. Um, so our, our MPS score um, is actually, um, I think it's about 75 currently, it's actually higher than um, Airbnb, Apple, etc. Um, in terms of our trust point, because we treat each one of our members as, um, as part of a really kind of, um, you know, we treat them really, really well. But because of the, the 70 million data points, we can say, for example, um, we, you know, we're just introducing psychometric testing, um, but we can say, look, you know, you are X, Y, and Z, firm X wants X, Y, and Z, you should go and do this. And it's so unleashing that potential and seeing them get their, get their roles is, is brilliant. And also it's great for us as a business because um, word of mouth marketing is, as we know, it's, it's free and people trust it. And if you and we think about our members as, as, um, as our, as kind of you know, the, the key, our, our key partners. And if they love the products and service, which is all for free, then they're more likely to tell other people. It's a. Uh, it, it's very interesting. There's there's another a nugget here. I don't want my audience to miss, which is a in my view around uh, the access you have to opportunities. And I think a lot, lot a lot of people. I, I have quite a big following on TikTok, and a lot of people when I talk on TikTok will complain. You know, um, or you know, the rich get richer. Right. So you're connected. To, you're kind of talking about it here a little bit. You know, you you're in the right network. So. But I think the opportunity with, with a platform like yours, and, and I think what's happening now with, with the decentralization of, of everything, actually, there is an opportunity for you to go and be a part of any network you want if you can have some clear idea of what it is that you want, right? So if you can get the tools and education to figure out what you want, and that can get, you can get that from YouTube, frankly. You can get inspired by an individual. And, but then you need to place yourself in the right networks. Again, get the same access that perhaps I would say 20, 30 years ago, people that were going to Oxford got. But now it's, it's decentralized, right? It's, it's, the opportunity's out there. I completely agree. And uh, it's quite interesting watching this, this in terms of this, what we do around kind of basically for, you know, graduates into first jobs. I think initially when uh, it was probably 10 years ago, kind of the conversations properly really started around um, diversity, inclusion, social mobility. I think a lot of the big corporates were probably a bit kind of worried. They didn't, you know, the reality is they were, a lot of them were stuffed with, you know, kind of white middle-class males. Um, They, they were in slightly panic mode. There was a slight sense of like, we need to do something because we need to do something. Whereas now, and this is the exciting thing around, I think, convergence of everything from um, kind of neuroscience, psychology, education, all the data shows that, uh, you know, obviously if you want to succeed in business, have a great business, you need the best people. 
because businesses don't actually exist. They're just collections of people, right? They're, they're, um, they're, they are an amalgamation of, of, of talent. And if you want that, then you need to access that best talent. So how you go about doing it. So to your point, absolutely. If you're, if you've got those qualities and you're kind of, you know, you're, you're hungry, you're driven, you want to succeed, et cetera, et cetera. That then, then I think there's a plethora of opportunities out there for you. Um, so yeah, I think I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's, there's, there's a ton of opportunity out there. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. I, I just wanted to go back and look at your history again, because I think people can get a lot of learnings from, from, from your process. So, so I, I can see, you know, 1999 to 2013, you build Oxbridge applications, you sell it, that, that's amazing. I mean, it's not an overnight success because there's, there's 14 years worth of work there. Uh, yeah. But I noticed but last that- year I was still at uni. So I was doing my, uh, somehow doing fine. I mean, Oxford's crazy system where you don't really do, have any coursework and you just, you just have these, they're called finals. It's like this, this two weeks ridiculous um, exams. But I was, uh, I, yeah, I was basically doing, doing the research. Essentially what I was doing was I was studying success. So I was trying to work out why people had got in I was getting people to do questionnaires, understanding why people had got in to package it all up. And then, yeah, did it. So the, the last year was kind of like the foundation laying and, and then I, and then I started the business. Yeah. So well, yeah, well, but it was yeah technically 14 years. Yeah. I feel like asking you what's the key and I'm sure you're going to say apply. The key is, you know, if you don't apply, you definitely won't get in. Right. Oh, yeah. but- you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be in the race to, to get in. If, if, if that is your ambition and just to be clear, like, you know, yes, I went to uh, Oxford, but, but it, it's not for everybody. Um, I think there's a lot of like pros and cons. Um, and, but absolutely, if it's something one aspires to, then I think absolutely kind of apply in the, apply in the first place. And I think actually, interestingly, coming back to the point you're making there about kind of failure, I mean, we've got a big problem in society at the moment of kind of all these kind of glittering A stars and these exam factories and essentially, um, you know, all these kind of really, um, <clears throat> these places that seem to be producing very unhappy children who are, you know, who are kind of, you know, ticking all the grades on um, getting all the grades, but maybe kind of aren't, you know, um, where, they, where, where, uh, where, where, in terms of uh, maybe aren't in an ideal space. But I think coming back to the point around the big thing that um, Oxford and Cambridge look for is kind of, I guess, kind of curiosity of mind, being okay with ideas you don't understand. So the whole the whole interview process, in my opinion, is a having, I guess, you know, been supporting people, well, supported people for 13 years through it. And we had a network of about 3,000 um, graduates who would then do a lot of the mentoring and uh, support for our members. And we were doing thousands and thousands of mock interviews. And we had, um, you know, a whole, whole range of experts. But the biggest thing is, you know, when you get thrown a new, a new concept in your interview, how do you respond and are you okay with new ideas which obviously is very relevant to kind of the idea of failing in entrepreneurship but it's how it's the process and how you go about it it's not thinking there's some perfect answer and we'd see these kids who you know would be you know 10 a stars the most kind of acting right but they would they'd been essentially so prepped through the machine that that, that when they were presented with a new concept a new idea they just because they didn't know the answer they'd freak out it's just dawned on me this teacher that um believed in you and put you forward um, you've kind of taken that teacher encouragement support model and scaled it. That's kind of what you did. Um, and I, I, I yeah, want to... Absolutely right. That's exactly, that's exactly what we've done. And, and the idea, um, and I'm pretty sure there's some research on this. I don't know for sure. But in terms of um, young or anybody fulfilling their potential, the idea of having somebody believe in you, I'm pretty sure it may have been proven. If it hasn't, I, I, this, is, this is me just um, kind of uh, espousing. But I think having somebody believe in you is a huge factor in one's success 
Um, so you think about, you know, they talk about like the elites, like the David Camerons or whatever, and the, you know, they talk about like entitlement culture. Mm. But if you're, if you've always had somebody believe in you and tell you that you can do it, then you kind of just think, well, obviously I, 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 I can do this. So, so that's exactly what we're trying to do with Bright Network. We're trying to take what those kids are lucky enough to get if they get born in certain backgrounds and they, you know, they go to top private schools and they have villas and, you know, that kind of stuff. And they have that wonderful kind of um, upbringing, um, which, you know, I, nobody, I think, you know, can begrudge them that, but it's like, but taking that and then putting that into Bright Network through, um, through digital scale. So what we can do, because obviously that's very hard to do with a person element. So we're 45 people in the business, but we support a network of 400,000. With technology and digital communications, you can then personalize. And that's where we get so much growth because we know so much about our members, then because we trust them and you know we support them, we're ethical and we're doing the right thing. We constantly got their back. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really nice observation. Thank you, because I've never... I kind of thought about it a bit subconsciously, but I think you're right. I think that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's it's, I guess, so important. People that affect your lives in this way and, and give you this insight. And, and and I think you maybe think that Nike need to update their saying. They're, they're basically saying just do it. But I think they should say you can do it. Absolutely, and I love it. And that that kind of believing in aspiration, ambition, you can go further. Um, and and I, one of the things I'm I'm really I think about a lot at the moment and occupies a lot of my mind is is that idea of success and kind of what success looks like because and I know I was definitely there in my 20s I think you know I was obviously you know what's that phrase kind of a young man in a hurry and I was you know working when I was God sends etc etc and I wanted to you know be successful but I think and there's probably definitely a financial part of that and that's what was quite satisfying you know, to start a business build it and sell it and that has been something I'd always wanted to do for various reasons, I think um, just as an interesting process, I think the financial security element, I think um, if you get to a point where you, you know, you've got really hopefully good financial security, then you, you it almost constantly then reinforces the idea you're doing things because you, 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 you want, you want to do them, not because you have to do them. Um, but then obviously then as you develop, you then think actually, and you learn more about life, well, they've proven it, right? Like, m- money and success are kind of in- inversely related. I think it's like you get to a certain income level, I think it's 70,000, which obviously is not an insignificant amount of money. But after that, there's no correlation. Um, and and one, of the, one of my favorite graphs is that graph of uh, wealth in basically, you know, a growing wealth in, 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 um, in the Western world combined with increasing, um, well, decreasing levels of, uh, of mental satisfaction, which actually is really, really depressing if you think about it. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a fascinating point. And uh, I saw the study too that shows, it's very hard, I think. I, I know a lot of my listeners um frankly find it hard some weeks to pay the bills and so you know when when you're at that level there's there's no conversation around how you know money's not important but you know i I just talk personally for a second you know i i I made a lot of money and um in a way it actually took away my hunger for a while um i was always i was i left school at 15 left home at 15 i was homeless it made me fight it made me come back Mm. and and have hunger and then when i actually chased and got the money um something something changed you know there was no longer an excuse to work that hard <laughs> um yeah. and and so uh, interesting so not to turn around but i wanted a question for you then just quickly did you um did, did so, so i completely understand like the hours the hours may have shifted but then did that make you work on 
things that arguably have bigger scale because you could think a bit more longer term and more strategically about the things you're working Definitely. on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was really impressed with your early story when you're talking about like beating the tuck shop and the bricks grounded up and, 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 and those, those ideas because I didn't really have that. I didn't, I didn't, I had quite a simple upbringing, you know, I used to play football. If I could stay out late playing football, I was rubbish at football, but no, just playing it sure was fun you with were, your friends, sure right? But, you know, but I didn't have that, I didn't have that purpose. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have, the word purpose never crept into my mind, probably until my first big success in business, um, where I started then thinking, oh, hold on a minute, you know, this isn't just about making money. Um, but but I, I think you, you had it much younger. I feel like you had it much younger. You kind of, you, you know, even with your first business, you're, you're very purpose-driven a concept it, it, you know helping people I, I i was always about like arbitrage which is basically you know take mon- making money you know like make, make, making making a living uh, it's interesting I, and I, I think almost the points kind of converge because don't get me wrong like you know i i kind of i think knew the corporate world wasn't wasn't for me um for various reasons um i think really admire what people do there but i just knew it wasn't the right kind of fit for me but it was very much you know when i started um, my first business, it was very much a business, but I guess that subconsciously there, there was a mission, there was a kind of a, if we can help, you know, help schools, the business model, you know, we would go to schools and schools would pay us. And it was great. Like I was 21 and I'd just be like driving around the country in my little car, like going to places I'd never been to before, like kind of um, Skitson and Halifax and Clitheroe. I'd just turn up there with my, like in my suit and my kind of PowerPoint or whatever on how to get into university. But um, so it was a business model, and then the schools would, these schools would pay us because they wanted to kind of help help their students. And but, but yes, it was a business, but it was almost built into, I guess it comes back to that kind of whole reason about why, like if you can improve people, and if you go back, you know, and help and, and, and deliver something, I guess people want, then then you should be you should be rewarded for that. Mm, totally agree. And so I I, I know you do uh, private investing. You're an angel investor. Um, what makes you invest in someone? What what's the criteria for you? To- yeah, it's very really, well. So when I when I um, sold uh, the first business applications twenty thirteen, I, I decided I wanted to do um, angel investing for um, uh, for I guess kind of two two main reasons. Um, one of it, there was well, actually the primary reason was actually to switch it. Um, having been an entrepreneur and still being an entrepreneur, who as, as a business owner and somebody who runs it, to put myself in the investment seat. So to actually have the investment experience, and I think that's made me a better business um, or better CEO because we have, I mean, we've raised about 8 million on, uh, on, on Bright Network in terms of investment. And I think, I think I can relate more to what investors are thinking about. Um, and the, the other element was to, to um, just to, to share what, what I'd learned in terms of starting, building and selling a business. To answer your question, um, and I guess now kind of a bit further down the journey, I can't remember exactly, I've done like six or seven of them, um, and and actually still waiting for the outcomes on some of them. It's quite interesting, like the, the whole story that angel investing always takes longer than it should do. But I think the answer to your question, and I think, and, and I'm obviously not a, kind of a great entrepreneur in any way, shape or form, but I think the things I look for in when investing it is, it, it, I think it does come down to the individual. Um, so it is basically the hunger, the determination, the grit, the resilience, how they think, how their mind works. And actually... I'm not sure. Have you, have you read the book Sapiens? Nope. I know it's good. It, it, it is mind blowing. So as I've always, I've always been interested, I guess, like the social sciences. I did like economics and philosophy and politics at uni. And I can't believe um, it, it's, uh, it's actually um, uh, an ex-girlfriend recommended this book. And, and I'm so glad, glad and thankful to her that she did because 
um, I, I wish I read it 10 years ago. It was, it was understanding what, what it means to be human. So that he, the book is called The Story of Humankind. I mean, also the story of, um, I think it's, it, it's Sapiens, the story of um, humans, basically. But the only thing that differentiates all humans, essentially, we've all got, you know, we all look pretty, pretty similar. It is the brain. And, 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 and cognitive ability. We've got this thing that no one can see, this kind of gray matter. And if you think about what separates like an Oprah Winfrey or an Obama or a Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates from everybody else, and it, it, it's, that, it's, that, it's that kind of organ, like what is going on and, and how quickly is that brain moving and how does it think and how does it work? Because if you get that right, then pretty much everything flows from that because that brain will assess opportunities the right way, hire the right people, be, you know, make the right impact on clients. So, so that's what I've learned. However, um, so, so, so person, um, market size, really, really important. Um, how big a market is, um, in terms of just quite frankly, how much money is in that market. I think that's, that's, that's the kind of, uh, second thing. And then thirdly, I think looking for some kind of product market fit, like, you know, entrepreneurs have an idea, there's a market, is there a fit there? Have they have they got it working? I think those would probably be the, be the three things. But it's I'm probably I'd say I'm up overall. Um, probably I need to check the sheets. But but actually the biggest thing I've definitely learned it was a bit like doing a mini MBA for me. Like I'd never done a never had any any formal business um, training um, and actually just having experience of seeing these businesses and just like what's going on with them because all, all businesses I think are essentially the same. Like they, they have so much more in common. They can look so different, but fundamentally they are, there is so much, you know, obviously around kind of people, strategy, finance, um, and, uh, and you just learn so much, I think, watching those business, watching businesses that way. I really like your take on angel investing as well about getting an understanding on the other side of the table, how, how the world works. I think it does make you a better CEO. It makes you, um, have, you done, have you done some angel investing, Son? Yeah, I, I have. I've invested in 69 startups. I just invested in wow. one yesterday. Um, so uh, wow. it, it's, uh, but I've, I've invested in lots of different ways. I, I invested direct, of course. I invested via um, funds like AngelList. Um, I've, I've worked with other people on investments. It's, it's quite uh, an experience. It's, and, and for me, I, I still don't consider myself a prolific investor. I, I see myself as a business person who likes to help other, other business folks. But I learn a lot by investing in people. And what's the average is what the top three things you've learned or what have you learned on your angel investing? I'd you get your own it. podcast show. You should, you should, you should. I just, I just always love learning. Yeah. Maybe one for later, maybe one for later. Yeah, no, it, but it is, it is a fascinating thing. But, um, you know, ultimately I, I completely concur with you and I, and I want my listeners to pick up on this because a lot of our listeners are looking to raise money. And so a lot of the time I get, I probably get 10 people a, a day um, yeah. asking for money. And I think the key is a big part of it is, is your, your authenticity, your, your energy. And, and, and the idea almost comes second to most people. I know it sounds crazy. Most people lead with the idea, but, but we are, you know, you've said it. We, I think everybody who's, who's putting money into things um, at the angel level for sure is, is doing it based on people because often the idea itself, you know, isn't even working yet nine times out of 10. So, yeah. and you're going to have to pivot. So you're relying on that person to pivot. You're relying on that person to have um, moral code that's, in line with yours and so on I, I, I couldn't agree more and yeah similarly get lots of approaches and um, and I think it's ironic in a way because I think one of my early mistakes was being undercapitalized and I 
you know, it's just one I can't tell you now, and we, we are in such a lucky position. I'm, I'm touching the wood on this table under here, uh, just it, to, to have, have capital. And actually, I think it's a big it's a big thing in the UK versus obviously the US, like not having enough capital behind you. But then adversely, I think people can get very obsessed about raising money when they've just got an idea. And actually what they what the, what can help is just cracking on and getting it started and focusing on, on, on the products. And you can always, I think, you know, you can always hustle some cash together, I think in some way, shape or form or another. But, you know, that whole, people often want to raise money before they start and the whole like, um, in, in, imperfect action beats perfect in action rule. Get as, as you know, right? Like you know, you, you getting started is just um, in in some way, shape, or form is rather than obsessing about like how do I go and raise you know five million, then all your time is spent around raising the money, not actually on on the product market fit and solving the solving the need of the uh, of, of whatever need you want to want to solve as an entrepreneur. Well. Um- I forgot to say earlier, I want to say anybody that's listening that has been uh, touched by your support, both all the way back to Oxford applications to to today's Bright Network, I want to hear from them. I want to hear from them in the comments. I'd like to interview them. I'd love to see um, the butterfly effect. I'd actually like to interview your teacher uh, that originally gave you this inspiration. And, <laughs> I haven't told his name. I don't want to, don't want to bust his... Uh, well, no, I was going to say, I mean, if, if he's listening, um, I think he should send you an invoice, you know, like for I'll success today. I'll send the link to him. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was the original, you know, muse for this. So he, he deserves a big check, I think. But... Um, but anyway, uh, the, I, I do love I do love looking at the history of it. And, and you mentioned there, you know, selling your business. And, and I know, you know, sometimes I've sold my business. So I sold my business fluid to PwC. I mean, it's a fascinating story beyond just the headline. Um, is there any learnings you had from selling your business? Was there any insights for the audience that might be worth sharing? Uh, well, learnings on selling. Well, where, where to start? So... I would, I mean, it was great. I, 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 I'm, I'm, it was, I'd always, and it, it, because it was very clear for me, I'd always wanted to start, build and then sell. So people talk about kind of like, oh, it's, you know, people like, oh, it's your, it's your baby and you're emotionally connected, et cetera. But it was for me, like, it was very clear. And I knew why I wanted to do it in terms of um, the reasons I kind of referenced, referenced earlier. Um, and it was, it was, it was a lovely feeling. Like, you know, when that money is obviously you had as well, right? And that money arrives into your bank account. It's like, oh, you just kind of, you have this kind of sense of achievement, but also this sense of kind of like lightness and it, it's kind of very empowering. Um, and, and I think there's multiple re- multiple reasons that people might buy your business. I think um, there's lots, and, and the key is it doesn't fit with the strategy of, um, of, of what an acquirer, what, what, what they want to do. And actually um, the reason we got bought, like I've never been able to predict the reason that we got bought by who we got bought. And it, it was, it was a great deal. And, and, uh, and actually it's been really nice to then build. I think it's important to build a premium business that goes on to succeed. Cause on the one hand, you can be a bit like, oh, you know, it sold it too cheaply or whatever, whatever. And, and, and that first business has gone on to kind of continue to grow and develop. Um, but actually that's really great because, you know, yes, it's um, worth more than um, I, when it, when it, I expect it's worth more than when I sold it, but, but that's great in terms of, you know, building a reputation for building kind of premium, premium assets. And I think, I mean, there's a load of stuff around, um, you know, using advisors. I think they're kind of um, often underrated, but getting a good advisor who can help you essentially a, a kind of a, a broker, obviously, who can help you getting good do advice. You 
did you get a broker or did they approach you? So, so I did actually, yeah, I did. But um, and it's a very, it's a very, we could probably talk for an hour about that topic alone, right? But uh, but but for me, that was that was useful. And then and then the the, the process um, took about I think it was about nine months in the end, um, which which was fine. But there's and it was very similar to raising money, I think, in terms of like you get everything ready, you go out to market, you then do the deal. It's like those it's three stage processes which probably each take about two, three months. But um, yeah, for me, it was a really good experience. So um, yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that business is still doing well. There's a lot of warring factions, I guess, um, within the entrepreneurial community about, you know, building a business to sell it. Um, I've often, you can catch me on camera after selling, don't build a business to sell it. But I think, yeah. I think there is an important nuance to what you're talking about here. And I really like this point and I don't want the audience to miss it either, which is sometimes you sell a business and it goes on to do better things without you. Um, and, and as you said quite rightly, and I also love it, which is, you know, a deal is about both parties winning. Um, and so when I sold my company Fluid to PwC, about a year afterwards, the head of PwC said to me, Simon, oh, the business is doing so well. Don't you wish you'd held on to it? You could have got double. And I was like, I am so happy that it's working. You know, I am yeah. so happy that it was an acquisition that had substance and it wasn't, you know, bullshit it was something that actually was useful to your organization i was very happy with what i got um, Brilliant. yeah and also the great thing is if you've got if you've got a concept and you're passionate about a vision actually having new people come in with new ideas and also quite frankly investment capital who can then elevate it to the next level it's like really nice thing. and also for the team as well like um, the, the team um, seem to have a good experience. So yeah, it's, but I guess getting the right bar, I think is, is really important. Yep. Well, when uh, PwC bought my business, everyone got a pay rise. So straight off the bat, they looked uh, yeah, after their happy people. Days, happy days. Yeah, totally. And then, then I felt bad that I was underpaying everyone for too long, but um, <laughs> sure we, we had a table sure tennis table, you know, so we, we made up for it somehow. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's really interesting. Now, just touching on, on raising money. Now, the last thing I read, you raised 8 million pounds for your business. What was that process like? So, so I think it was staged is how I describe it. So, so I, I funded the business originally, Bright Network, um, uh, with um, some the capital I got from my first sale. Then, then it was angels. Um, so classic kind of you know friends and family contacts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Actually, there weren't any family. I don't know why I'm saying that, but like uh, you know, model is family and friends. It's a model more than actually family. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of you know people you know who they know who they have money and they. They were putting in kind of checks of you know 10 20 50k etc and and then we moved um into institutional which obviously is a whole different ball game um but uh, yeah has, has, um, has been working really well for us and we're very very lucky we're, we're backed by a venture capital firm called maven and they are absolutely fantastic and 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 it was very flattering actually because the first time having never done institutional um, so the first time we went out to institution, we got four offers in two weeks, which has really kind of just blew my mind. It was like these people, these, these, you, you, you know, rather than people going to people's houses, asking them to put money into your business, you're going to like these big kind of flashy offices in London. And we got four offers in two weeks and, uh, and they, they've been incredibly, incredibly supportive of the business. And, uh, uh, just that I can, can kind of, uh, uh, send their praises kind of highly enough. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, again, it's like actually nice to hear. Them. So I was going to say, it's really nice to hear because so often, um, frankly, I mean, I've interviewed hundreds of founders and often there's a horror story around the investors and what they did. So, uh, you know, shout out for Maven. It's really, really, really nice to hear that, that there's, there's actually, it's, they are, they're unfairly treated, a lot of these organisations. They're, they're cast with the same brush, one or two bad players. And uh, so it's actually nice to hear. 
Absolutely. And one of the things I'd really um, stress is that there's lots of different types of investors. I think if you, as you've kind of always called out there and, um, and, and I think, you know, going for investors that are kind of long-term and, um, and aren't just trying to kind of, you know, because the reason they do all investors, obviously they want to make, they want to make money. I mean, that is obviously a primary driver and there's lots of things obviously around um, other factors in terms of impact, but sometimes it can take time to get to get a return and i think long-term investors are great like that and again not to talk too much about amazon but if you look about look at amazon i think they launched at like a hundred dollars a share or something they had the dot-com bust went to six dollars a share and i think it's now about three and a half thousand dollars per share crazy so if you think about that long-term thinking and um, what warren buffett is obviously really big about that as well um that kind of proper long-term thinking so i think personally I think it can take time to get things right. And, and a patient investor um, would always be the type of investor I think I'd probably want to be aligned with. You say just on this subject alone, we could probably do an hour chat because I, I find that um, there is a problem with the structure on people's funds. They're in four years vested, four years out. So in other words, they need to make money within four to four to eight years. They have to have money back, which puts pressure yeah. on the business and the founder. But Jeff Bezos smashed that that cycle a bit and he told investors he wasn't giving them their money back, right? He was the flywheel <laughs> yeah. model. Um, yeah, which, which which has got compound. It, you get compound, um, and and I think people, smart investors, are waking up to that. But there's still some old models based on the fund structure that causes a lot of founders stress, where they feel under pressure to to spend money and scale beyond um, what's actually necessary to to make it a sustainable long term business. Absolutely, um, and yeah, look look at Buffett. Right, he's done an average of nineteen percent year on year. And I was very lucky about three years ago. Got to go to the Berkshire Hathaway. Um, a, a AGM, which is incredible. I really recommend it for you get to go. I've seen it on YouTube. So, Unbelievable. I think he has the most amazing time. Of the most, I always wanted my AGMs for my companies to be like how he does it. I do recommend going actually. So one of my mates was a shareholder, was a shareholder. So he was like, let's all go. So three of us went and it was amazing. Cause you're there with like, and also there's always like crazy Trump voters. It's like 40,000 or whatever, 50,000 all packed into this essentially stadium. But also you can apparently, because it's amazing these, these shareholders, they also put their tickets online for like $20. So basically anybody can go. But that whole long-term mindset, like I think it was like 62 or whatever when he started his fund and it was like, I think it was like $40 a share or something. And it's now 300,000. And it's the it's 19% or whatever it is year on year. It's, it's compound is such an exciting thing. Totally, yeah. Well, um, I think when you're combining what you're doing, you know, compound investment with compound help for people, back to that butterfly effect, right? You, you, you're actually infecting people's lives at a very early age and helping them hopefully have this incredible journey and compounding their success based on those early support structures. Well, that, you know, I really, really appreciate that. And I think, and it is, and, and from a business angle, entrepreneur angle, like it is, it is lovely in the mission part of it. But the great thing is, in terms of like hopefully doing business and doing good, is these brilliant young people who we get at 18 invest in help and support them. Quite frankly, they, their careers become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they are, you know, they are absolutely amazing. So just feel very, very lucky to stay in touch with them. And then obviously, and the great thing is then because we do those long-term bets, they then become clients. So, you know, students who've helped 18, 19, then, you know, five, six years later, they'll be kind of, you know, in organizations, they'll turn their organization into a client. They'll come back and give back to the undergraduate community. So they'll kind of come back and say, look, this is how I did it, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 so we see that, 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 that network is essentially our assets. Um, but it just obviously, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a long-term investment thesis. Clearly Bright Network's doing amazing things and doing really well. Do you think there was a lucky moment uh, with, with the business? Was there any one particular thing that really stands out for you? 
it's a great question. I think there's been, I'd say there's been four, three, three main moments. I think when we started, and I think all startups go through this, we were trying to, we were too broad in our strategy. We we're trying to help everybody from an 18 year old to a 28 year old. And um, this very smart guy, um, uh, actually, it's, it's actually our, our CTO, um, when he joined the business, he was like, we're too, we're too um, unfocused. We need to focus. So then we zoned in on basically 18 to 21 year olds because helping, you know, an 18 year old, you know, student is very different to maybe helping, you know, 28 year old um, in their career. So we could be really precise on that. Um, the second was definitely the institutional fundraise. Um, we, it, in retrospect, before we were undercapitalized in terms of what we wanted to do and the scale we wanted to do, I think that would be the second one. And the third one was only a year ago when we went to COVID by being contrarian. So when COVID kicked off, um, obviously a lot of our competitors were kind of, um, you know, making extensive use of the, of the um, well, basically there, it was a very kind of difficult market, right? Because if you're in, in, in essentially, you know, we're a technology business, but if you're in recruitment and our, and our revenue actually fell for the first few months, our revenue kind of just fell by about 50% kind of week on week. We're monitoring it and we went from growing 50% week on week to we had fell. And, but then we saw we wanted to invest in our community. So we took a contrarian decision. We invested about two to 300,000 pounds in internship experience UK. And what then that has allowed us to do is now we, you know, hopefully fingers crossed bounce back better. Um, it's really just moved us just quite frankly to the front of the pack. Um, so um, uh, in terms of scale, I mean, we had 120,000 applications for this um, internship experience. We built this coalition. We have people from all over the world doing it. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, move. And, and we were able to show everybody what a digital business we are. Because the danger is people kind of think, oh, you know, recruitment consultancy, and it's a few people, and you know, with CVs, or whatever, move. You know, that old school model. Whereas to have a proper, you know, it was almost able to show everybody our, our digital scale. Um, so I think those are the three main points I'd say. Fascinating. Um, you are helping me prove a thesis I have about luck in your story um, and so you know I think there is an element of you want to be more lucky you have to take more risk the more risk you take the luckier you get I love it. and and so um, but there is a this luck is broken into two things two percent of, of life is an unpredictable luck so for, for example where you're born nothing you can do about that can't influence it doesn't matter how hard you work that's where you're going to be born uh, and then you know covid is another good example you just highlighted you know we we you know, no one wanted it 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 happens to us all um, which is actually is quite uniting in its in its own way unlike brexit which divides us i think somehow covid yeah. in a way brings us together uh, but uh, but how you then react to that luck good or bad um, is is the 98% of life and and what you did by you know d- going in and putting a lot of money into into this new program um, you know 300,000 pounds a lot of money putting something into that to help people at that moment big gamble and and it's paid off but people went often the other way and they wonder why they don't have as much luck uh, so yeah. uh, thanks i really really appreciate it and and absolutely it was it was a contrary move at the time and yes we have kind of um kind of benefited from it hugely and actually and that's where again come back to the point around investors like i mean what what amazing investor a lot of investors would be like no batten down the hatches yeah, like, right like, then like, that moment because that that's the moment everyone's like keep cash cash is king i think that's what i heard that a million times um yeah. during that first week of lockdown you know, so uh to go the other yeah. way um is is both brilliant and uh, kind of i think sums up your career really you know going in the opposite direction to everybody else 
Thank you. Well, Thank you said, the, the team did an amazing job. It was generally astounding to watch watch what they did. And I'm just very, very lucky to work with them every day. Well, very conscious of time. I actually want to quickly ask you about team. Um, any any quick thoughts on, you know, you, your first hire, for example? What, 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 how, you know, did it, how was the learning? Uh, well, my first hire um, uh, was I just started my business and uh, I realized there was a, a, a scheme um, basically didn't really have any money and there's a scheme where you could uh go, go to the, um, the local job center and you could get somebody on long-term employment benefit and give them an opportunity at kind of a, a vastly subsidized if not kind of completely free rate i can't remember the exact deal i remember being so nervous interviewing her i was like 21 and clueless and um i think she was in her 40s but she was amazing and she came into the office and it was like and we're in this kind of crazy uh you know basically my living room uh and my first house when i was 21 and I mean, she was incredible and she was, she was, it was, it, you know, and, and she, she, she was great. Um, I guess other things I'd say on team, I would say, I mean, it's a cliche, but I'd say to anybody running a business, obsess about the quality of talent you have in your business. I think I've probably wasted about a million pounds in my career on wages of people that now, if I went back and just took that out, it would basically be a million pounds net saving. Um, not their fault um, when things haven't gone right. And now, um, touch wood through experience we've got an amazing kind of head of people in the business and um, but yeah over the years just I think two things like hiring the wrong people um, just for whatever reason and not putting enough rigor and around that and then secondly um, once the wrong people are in the if they're in the business then then essentially being quite lazy about it quite frankly um, you know it's, it's hard building a business you know the uh, the energy around everything from you know products clients team technology finance you've got to have so many pots in the boil and you see somebody you know they're not right and you know it's probably not the right thing for them they also feel it nine times out of ten as well sorry they also feel it right so it's it's, it's kind of a two-way being polite to each other for quite a long time by accident sometimes <laughs> yeah absolutely and in a way and you're not doing anybody favors because there's, there's, you know there's you know it's not right for them in terms of their job it's not right for um your business again not obsessed about amazon but i love what they do in terms of you know they offer money people to money to quit um, you know, they say like, you know, basically if you quit, like we'll give you a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars or whatever it is. It's genius because it's just it'd like, be, like it'd be interesting to do that for just like people you think that are actually enjoying it just to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I say to my yeah. crew now here, you know, I'll give you five thousand pounds uh, team uh, each if you just quit and never, never call me again. Are you up for it? <laughs> <laughs> but also I think it's uh, I think it's a very kind of confident strategy. But yes, yeah, so I think those would be my main observations on team. I mean, I think there's been some research by Google that say something like the best you know, manual tasks, say like chopping wood or whatever, the best performer can only be like two times best than the worst performer. But in with, with like software development or thought jobs, like it can be 10x. So never underestimate when you get an incredible person in, in, in what they can do. And that's that's kind of like how I sought to build the business. So I'm like, you know, my, my strategy really is to, if you get the best people, they will look after your business. Um, and very, very lucky with the, with the team team we have. Oh, I totally agree. I think Connor, who does all the editing, has something to say on, on my offer, Connor. Yeah, just saying, like, I, I don't think I'd take the money because, uh, yeah, these podcasts take about eight hours to edit. So if it's just Simon, it'll probably double that. So it'll be about 16 hours per episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, excellent. Good, good. Uh, maybe I just need to up the amount then. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> Awesome. Well, look, uh, I, I've absolutely loved having you on the podcast, James. I honestly think we've got a whole series we could do together here on all the different subjects that we've covered. We could go deep on someone that'd love to do that with you, actually. I think I think it's uh, really, really interesting, your insights and knowledge. So thank you for that. 
What, what, what I'm like, I really enjoy the whole experience. I think um, what you're getting up to with you and your team it is absolutely fantastic and really needed. I mean, the idea that you've obviously um, been so successful in business and then you are kind of giving back in such scale um, because because actually the businesses, you know, people start business, they are the growth engines we need. I, um, I was lucky enough to do the, um, there's a program called Goldman Sachs 10,000, which I'd highly recommend for kind of startup businesses. It's an amazing program by Goldman's. And I think it was on there, they mentioned that 20% of all new jobs are created by just 1% of businesses that are growing at more than 20% a year. So the idea that you're supporting all these businesses is just absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I would love to continue the conversation at some point. Definitely. Well, I'm a big fan of yours and I hope we can uh, team up as well. I just want to end the podcast with one question. Um, If you went back to that younger you and gave some advice, what would it be? Think big. Nice one. Because I think the reality is if you're running a business, whatever business is, if it's a a corner shop, whatever business is, you're going to be working really hard. You're going to have all the stress. You're going to have all the strain. If you're doing all that, work on something really big and, and therefore you know, don't underestimate you know, the impact you can have, the scale you can have. And, and that's what I'm really loving about kind of Bright Network now is that, is that it's a global problem. How young people connect with the world of work really is a global problem. So think big. Love it. I love There's a saying who I should credit to someone else, but I can't remember, so I'm going to steal it, uh, which is um, you've got to think, why not think big? I love it. Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. So I'm going to quickly sum up a few things just uh, for, for my takeaway. Um, I like to do this. I, I love this concept that you can do it. You know, surround yourself with people that will believe in you, even if it's one person that believes in you, what a difference it can make in your life. Of course, if you can believe in yourself, that's the best. But I think we all need a bit of support and encouragement. That's why we're here at the Purposeful Project and the Good Luck Club. We're here to do that. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Um, you can beat the tuck shops. I like this, you know, like it, 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 sometimes I remember being at school and my, my biggest aspiration maybe was to work in the tuck shop. But I, I, I love the idea that, you know, sometimes you see these big companies like Amazon, you know, you can beat them. Um, you can be your own version of it, whether it's based on price or whether it's based on quality, whether it's based on your personality, you can beat the tuck shops. I like that. There's opportunity all around, you know, there's still bricks out there that need grounding up, you know, then turned into uh, whatever to make the world a better place like that i think he the um the whole concept of buying and selling conquers it reminds me if any a lot of my listeners are out of asia and in america maybe they don't know what you mean about conquers but um i think you know as a kid growing up um i i, I had a conquer that lasted 17 tries so if anyone in england will know what i mean that was a, that was a champion conquer right there that's very good strong conquer yeah the closest strong i got conquer. to someone offered to buy it from me for 50p and i was tempted because i wanted some sweets um <laughs> but but i do love the idea that um, you know find find your conquers and be bonkers kind of idea and the um i I always like the point you made about the queen you know she's now got seven people uh, writing uh to people that are now getting over 100 just to illustrate that we are living longer you can have more than one career in your life um you can you can work for someone else you can work for yourself you can go back working for someone else you know there's there's there's, we've got a lot of time Um, but i really think personally of course that's why i have an entrepreneurial show and working for yourself will make people um want to hire you and having that experience and that innovative way and that self drive and learning all of those things will will actually make you more even more desirable for for, from an employer's perspective experience is key in life 
And um, it's important to fail. I know we hear it a lot on Instagram. We see it, and it's just a quote thrown out there. But I think you know this. This the, the insights from James today. His story. You know, if you don't pick up uh, the points here, that he's failed many times and tried to do many things, and that's why he's successful. If he hadn't had those failures, he wouldn't be successful. So the more failures you have, the more chance of success. Uh, is what I take away. Um, if you are looking after someone else's sheep right now, if you're enjoying it, sit back, look up the sky. Sounds awesome. But remember as well, just like James's dad, you can buy a sheep of your own if you want. You can try it out. You know, you can add Absolutely. it to the flock. You can work with the company itself to add that sheep or you can do your own. And so, um, you know, and who knows where it could end up. You could end up being the inventor of a wonderful box that keeps little baby sheep warm and be known and have a legacy, which I really, I really love that kind of insight into James's father's life. Um, I want to say it again because I think it's important. I know a lot of our listeners are single mums um, who want to start a business and they've got like I have a three-year-old to look after and it's not easy um, and single mothers should also be on the Queen's list of letters every year um, I'd love to lobby that I think single mothers deserve a lot of love and support and I just want to shout out and say any single mothers out there listening to this broadcast today if you need anything to start your business you reach out to us we will find time to help you and so um, but what a what a what an incredible um, human being you are for uh, for looking after your child and making that your priority and so, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a wrap from us today, folks. Um, I do think the final point James made around focus in your business is really interesting. Don't go too broad, um, but have a big ambition and a big dream. And um, we have the same here. We, we, um, we, we, I'm going to take some of James's advice there. Sometimes we're too broad trying to help everybody, but, but it is important to have a, a plan. I think that's uh, what James has highlighted today um, with his experience and his knowledge. And so, James, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Seriously enjoyed it and just keep up the fantastic work. Thanks, Tom. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. If you got any value from James's insights today, do me a favour, hit the links below and give him a like on his social media. It really will cost you nothing. In fact, anybody out there who's starting a business that you admire or like, don't just scroll past them. Give them a like on their social media. It costs you nothing to do that. There are so many things you can do to support those people that will cost you nothing and will mean the world to them. Go one step further, make a comment. Another step further, share their business and what they're doing. Support them because right now, right now, if we don't support those people, the very backbone of every economy will fall apart. We need to help those people. So again, I want to thank you for listening. We know you have 824,000 podcasts you could be listening to and you take the time out to listen to ours and we feel incredibly lucky. Thank you.